0: Today is Monday, February 5th, 2024. My name is Chris Johnson, and I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs for Lifeline Children's Services. Well, today we are getting back to the book of 1 Corinthians. We've had uh, some guest speakers over the last couple of weeks, but uh, today we're diving back in. And so we are at 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there and uh, join me there, if you will, First Corinthians chapter number 8. Um, we course, have been talking about uh, just as Paul is dealing with some issues there with the church at Corinth and walking them through some different scenarios and different things and address uh, some pretty heavy issues uh, that needed to be dealt with. Uh, Dealt with, of course, lawsuits and things there dealt with sexual immorality and marriage and some of the different pieces around that. And uh, today he's going to be talking about a a specific issue that they were facing uh, regarding food offered to idols, but really kind of giving us some, some, um, some guidance around the bigger picture picture of just uh, understanding how to deal with weaker and stronger Christians, and what are those relationships between the two? And and how should we, um, work together with someone who maybe is not, uh, as mature in their faith as, as we are? And what should be some of our understandings and things that we should keep in mind, uh, when, when, when associating with someone to try to help, uh, them in those processes? So I want to read the chapter, and, uh, then we're going to dig in a little bit. We see from the very beginning, he says, now concerning. And so when Paul says that, and he, he says that several times, uh, in this book, he kind of, almost almost every chapter, just about, it seems like he's starting with now concerning. And uh, we know that that is kind of basically what Paul is saying there is, there has been a question that has been asked. So, someone in, in, at the church at Corinth or someone, either the one of the elders or leadership, or there's something that's gone on there that has brought forth a question that Paul is now answering. So, there's been this question that has arisen, and Paul is now saying, okay, I'm going to give you the answer. So, now concerning this question that you've asked. Uh, so, this was a real issue. This was Wasn't something that Paul was just kind of making up and saying, Hey, I want to, I want to, you know, create an issue or talking about this. This was something that, that they were dealing with in the church there. And I would dare say it's something that we continue to deal with as Christ followers and in our church settings, even now, uh, I know that it is, I know I, in my own family, sometimes have some of these things that we work through and in my own, uh, settings and relationships within, within the church, within the body of Christ. And so he's saying, Hey, with, with dealing with these things in answer to your question, I want to address this and, uh, "...for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, and in the ESV that is in quotes and small g, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, capital G, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist." However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating, uh, knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? I'm thankful that Paul has not, or that the Lord has not dealt with me and, and challenged me to never eat meat. Uh, I have not accepted that uh, that admonition there. That's not where uh, God has called me to be. God has not called me to that. And I'm thankful that he has not called me to that. Um, but let's look at the kind of the big picture here of this chapter. Paul certainly is not saying that it is a sin to eat meat. And uh, we all say a big old amen to that. Um, but but listen, let's say, what what is Paul talking about here? Well, there's, there are three key, terms I think that are that are referenced here in this chapter that I think um, are important for us to recognize that kind of stand out as we as we read this, uh, that are I think are important for us to understand in this conversation. The first one he references is knowledge, right there from the beginning. Um, and, and of course when we when we talk about knowledge, really we're just talking about content. We're talking about understanding of a body of information. Um, having knowledge is a good thing, uh, but it's not, but it, but it's very easy to become puffed up in our knowledge. And that's really what had happened here at the Church of Corinth. Uh, they were basically priding themselves in what they knew, uh, just priding themselves in their content. Um, this could have also been an indication, as we know, the Church of Corinth, but a lot of what Paul was having to address was their misuse and misunderstanding of the spiritual gifts. And of course, one of the spiritual gifts, one of those early sign gifts was the gift of knowledge. And so maybe even there was some context of them kind of saying, well, I've got this gift, and so I know more. And so there was this idea of their, them being puffed up in their knowledge. I love that he uses, uh, it's kind of translated that way, that, that knowledge puffs up. And so it's it carry, it's carrying this idea of this arrogance that is there uh, because of the knowledge that they had. And it's and it's easy to, to really kind of become a spiritual know-it-all, um, especially when we've grown up in church, we've grown up around the things of the Lord. When we work for a Christian ministry where we have Bible studies on a regular basis, it's easy for us to kind of take this position of saying, we know more and so because we know more, we have a right to be prideful or we have a right to be arrogant in our knowledge. And so Paul is really warning us of that. And so we've got to be careful not to become some kind of a know-it-all that that looks down our noses at at those who who don't know or or don't understand things the same way that we do or don't know as much as we do about Scripture, about uh, content, about the things of the Lord. And so uh, knowledge is a good thing. We need to get as much knowledge as we can. We need to, to gain as much knowledge. We need to be students of the Word we need to attend bible studies we need to hear the word preached we need to study and be a uh, study to show ourselves approved a workman that, that's not ashamed we we need to gain knowledge so the bible is clear about the importance of gaining knowledge but may we never get to a point where we're gaining knowledge in order to to be prideful for prideful purposes and may we never take this knowledge that we have learned especially those of us who grew up in church and kind of you know have this this understanding of the big picture of the gospel and and you know Well, I've taken systematic theology, and I know how all the Bible fits together, and I know all the different pieces. And we never take that as as an opportunity to look down on someone who hasn't had that training, who hasn't had that understanding. That doesn't make us any better than anyone else. It just means that we've been walking with the Lord longer, or it just means that maybe we've been in a better environment, a better situation where we've had good teaching and good training. And so Paul is warning from the beginning here not to let this this knowledge um, cause us to sin and be puffed up in pride uh, to where that we think better of ourselves because of what we know. And don't use our knowledge to cause us to sin, and then also to cause others to stumble in sin as well. So he addresses knowledge, and we'll talk about a it little, a little bit more in just a minute specifically uh, in this story. But then he also addresses the word love, and he talks about love. He says knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And and again, he's talking about this balance here, this this balance that we've been discussing even over the last couple of weeks between between knowledge, the content of what we know, and love, the way that we display and live out that knowledge. Um, The best definition I've ever heard of love, and you've probably heard, some of you've heard me say this before, love is acting in the best interest of another. You can take every different definition of love, you can take every different situation and you can always plug that in. Love is acting in the best interest of another. If I truly love you, then I'm going to do what is in your best interest. Now, that doesn't always mean that I'm going to do what is pleasant or what is easy or what makes you feel comfortable, but I'm going to always have the heart and the motivation. Love is always the motivation of doing what is best. And so in that understanding of this kind of, again, this balance of knowledge, I may share knowledge with you, but I'm going to share knowledge with you from a heart and spirit of love. Uh, Ephesians 4:15, of course, is the classic passage where, where Paul said we are speaking the truth in love. It's in And it's important that we understand and know truth, that we share that truth, but that we always do it in love. Love always has as the motivation to build up, not to tear down. When we're puffed up in knowledge and we're looking down on others who don't know what we know, we're we're trying to tear them down. We're trying to make ourselves look better and we're trying to promote ourselves. Whereas love builds up the other. Love says, I'm going to share this knowledge with you, not to prove that I'm smarter or I know more, but I'm going to share this knowledge with you so that I might help you mature. so that I might build you up so that I might help you grow in your maturity and understanding of the things of the Lord. So, so we, you know, we've heard the saying before truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And, and I would say that love without truth is really not love at all. Because again, if we're not telling the truth, then we're not really loving them because we're not acting in their best interest. And so we've got to have this, this, this balance here. And so Paul is explaining that, that again, he even goes on in the next verse to say that, that, that acting in love, really is a confirmation that we belong to God. And, and our love for others, our love for God, it's really what identifies us with God. It says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so there's, again, this, this understanding that, that we display to the world that we belong to Him by our love for one another, but that also that, that God knows that we're His by our love for Him, and, and that, that He identifies with us because of the love that is with, within us. And so, you know, the, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be known just for our knowledge, or do we want to be known also for for our love in living out that knowledge and putting that knowledge on display. So he talks about the term of knowledge. He talks about love. And then he talks about this word conscience. He talks about our conscience. And, and this is really kind of the, the crux of the passage here and the important word really to, to understand as we're, as we're kind of looking at this passage. Um, what does he mean by conscience? You know now we oftentimes, I, I think it's very easy to get confused, especially in, in Christian circles and, and in the, the world of the church and in spirit, the spiritual realm. It's easy to get conscience confused with the working of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we oftentimes put those things kind of on parallel on the same thing, and and we kind of think you know well the the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit and the the moving of the Holy Spirit in us or the uh, the you know the leading of the Holy Spirit is is the same thing as the as God as our conscience that 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 shows us whether something's right or wrong and that's and that's ultimately what our conscience is it's it's a sense of of how we judge right and wrong but it's important to know that they're not the same uh, because as we see from from this passage here and as we see even in other places and even as we we understand. Conscience is something that can grow and develop and be moldable. The Holy Spirit never changes. The Holy Spirit never changes. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. So He's never going to to change in what He, uh, the the understanding that He brings to us or the things that He calls us to do. Um, And and so the Holy Spirit is always going to guide us and lead us according to the truth of God's Word. The role of the Holy Spirit is to keep us uh, in Christ, to keep our salvation secure, and also to illuminate God's Word in our our hearts and minds, so that we understand God's word, and then to guide us and lead us in walking in God's word. But our conscience is something that, that God has given us that really is a, is a guide that helps us uh, have this sense of of judging what is right and wrong in our life. It literally means to know with. So there's, there's again, this, this connection of the knowledge. So we, we, as, we as, as individuals, uh, we know certain things. And as we know certain things, we have this conscience, which is to know with. So we take our understanding of those things and we take our experiences in life and the things that we've, that we've gone through, the things that we've lived, and those things coming together form our conscience. So our conscience is taking the knowledge that we have together with the things that we have experienced and understanding. Of our knowledge, bringing those things together, and it gives us the sense of what is right and what is wrong. That's why you can have people that are non-believers that still have a sense of conscience, because they still have an understanding, this innate understanding, and even at looking at the world around them, at what is right and what is wrong, but they don't have the Holy Spirit within them until they come to salvation. He brings them to that point of salvation, and, and so then the Holy Spirit becomes that true guide that points them to true north and points them to the truth of Scripture, but but we all have this conscience within us that takes our, our, our knowledge and our experience, brings together we know with, knowledge with with experience, and it and it helps guide us in what we sense is right and wrong. So again, we see that that our conscience is moldable based upon our understanding. So if it's our knowledge together with our understanding experience, as our understanding of the things of God, as our understanding of the ways of the Lord grows and increases, our conscience is moldable with those things. So a new believer that's brand new to the things of God will be able to sense certain things that are right and wrong, but they're not going to have their conscience developed in such a way as someone who has been walking with God for many years or someone who who has been taught the things of the Lord uh, from the time that they were a child or for, or for a long time in their life. And so that's really what Paul is kind of addressing here. This uh, he, he states here versus in, in the last part of this chapter, he says in verse number seven that, that the conscience can be defiled. He says in verse 12, the conscience can be wounded. He says in verse 13, the conscience can be offended. Um, and, and when this, this conscience is violated, um, sometimes the conscience is violated. It may not necessarily be sin, but this understanding of where the person at, this conscience, and we're kind of there, the things they're wrestling, with based on their understanding, when that conscience is violated, it brings kind of those feelings of this this kind of the spiritual corruption. It produces fear, and it produces shame, it produces guilt, uh, and those things that that we don't want new believers walking in, right? And so kind of the admonition here is, is that Paul wants us to understand as strong Christians, as mature believers, he wants us to understand that those who are new believers, they may not have a conscience that's as developed as us. And so while they may do something that, that kind of, there may be something that they see in us or something they see by based on their experience that violates their conscience, it may not necessarily be an outright sin, but if we're doing something that causes them to step across a line that makes them feel guilty and shameful, we need to be aware of that. And we need to be careful of that. And we, not, we should not be leading and guiding them to violate their conscience. Now, we, at the same time, we should be teaching and training them and helping them develop in their understanding understanding of the things of the Lord. But Paul is warning us to be very careful not to to defile or wound or violate or offend their conscience or cause them to do something that's going to to bring shame and guilt uh, in their life. So so let me kind of walk through exactly what's happening here. So in this particular story, we're dealing with, with meat that has been offered to idols. Uh, of course, in Corinth there was a they were a pluralistic society, so they had many gods that they were worshipped, many idols that they were worshipped, and so there were even these beliefs that sometimes uh, demonic forces would attach themselves through food, and sometimes the food offered to idols would help drive some of that away or keep that from happening, and just a lot of just bizarre kind of things. And and so there was this this kind of uh, practice of in the in the idols eating that food that had been offered that that wasn't burnt up. Uh, Um, the the food that had been offered to idols that had not burnt up would also be sold very cheaply in the market. So there was just kind of all this, these different things that was attached that were attached to um, this food that had been offered to idols. And so for those who had come out of a lifestyle of worshiping those idols, there were some deep connections to the food that was coming from that. Now, Paul is saying here, those of you who are in Christ and have been in Christ for a long time, you've been walking with the Lord, you know that those idols are absolutely nothing. You know that there's only one true God. You know that those all those multiple gods are really nothing. You know that there's really nothing to this. So if those idols are really nothing, there's nothing to those multiple gods, you know that there's really nothing to that food that's been cooked there. It's, not, it's neither good nor bad. It's immoral. It's just food. There's nothing to it. You know all of that. but you've got to understand and recognize that there is a deep connection for these new believers with this meat to to the practice of idol worship. There's this deep connection that's been built into them for for most of their life, maybe all of their life up to this point. And so they've got this hard connection there. So when you're just flippant about that and you just go, oh, it's no big deal. Let's just eat this food. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. We can get this food a lot cheaper. Let's eat this way and let's do this. When you're just being completely flippant about it, you are, are causing them to stumble and you're causing them to, to do something that they're just not ready for, that they're not they're not in a place to, to understand that, in a place to handle that yet. And so, and so doing that, you're causing them to do something that's violating their conscience. They're still in a place wrestling going, okay, I know that I'm not supposed to worship idols. There's one true God and I've placed my faith in him. So then why should I participate in something that I did when I was worshiping idols? And why should I still partake of something that's connected to that idol worship. So for them, they're still, they're still wrestling with a lifetime of worshiping idols, going to recognizing the one true God, but still having all these connections and ties to this lifestyle. So Paul is saying, I want you to recognize you may absolutely have the freedom to eat whatever meat you want. There's, we know there's nothing to this ultimately when we get down to it. So you've got the freedom to do it. But I want you to recognize that in so doing it, you may be flippantly causing them to wrestle with things that shouldn't be, because it's just as easy for you to get your meat from elsewhere. It's just as easy for you to not go down that path or or to not do those things in front of them in a way that would cause them to stumble. So Paul is saying, I want you to be aware of what is going on with others and not just living for yourself and not just doing what's easy and what makes sense to you, but live your life with an understanding of how that life affects those who are new to the faith. How that life affects those who have not yet matured in their understanding of the things of the Lord. Have not yet matured in their in their growing and understanding uh, in their way. So so the stronger believers understood the realities of the idols and false gods, but for weaker believers, these activities were still closely connected to their former way of life. Uh, I can think back a lot of times in in dealing with um, some of the the families that we worked with when when we were personally involved in foster care. Um, some of the, some of the situations some of you guys may be connected with with when serving vulnerable families and and women in, in, in you know unexpected and crisis situations. Um, sometimes there's things that that we that we might be able to do and take for granted. Um, But understanding kind of where they're at and some of the the connections, especially when when dealing with addictions and recovery from addictions, um, there's things that we need to be really careful of in those situations and environments. Um, I'm thinking also as a parent, right? There's certain things that that maybe my wife and I, when we're just the two of us, we might be able to watch certain things, or maybe I might be able to listen to certain music in my car that I'm mature enough to be able to handle and kind of be able to gauge certain things and, and understand things. No, I certainly still must, even as a mature believer must still guard what I put in my mind and I'm not going that, you know, please hear me on that. But there also are things that that I can handle as a mature believer, and I can kind of sift through that my children are not able to sift through, and that that can do great harm to them and sear their conscience, or cause them to to violate their conscience, or cause them to to kind of um, you know kind of lose some of that purity that that they're not ready to, to lose yet. And so it's kind of that same idea as we're uh, working with with younger believers, um, uh, new believers, uh, kind of helping them mature in their faith. So I hope that kind of makes sense to you what Paul's talking about here and kind of how it applies. In 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 our lives today, so I want to give us just kind of real quickly as we wrap up here this morning, five kind of guiding thoughts uh, to remember as we as we reference this. First of all, it's important to remember that we're all at different maturity levels. We're all at different maturity levels. Paul says here, not everybody knows everything. That the church at Corinth, they were just kind of taking for granted. Everybody knows that these idols are not true. Everybody knows there's one God. Everybody knows that this meat really is amoral and it's not a big deal. Well, Paul says, no, the reality is not everybody knows that. They're learning that and they're growing in that, but not everybody's at the same level as you. And so we can't just take for granted that everybody knows what we know. And just because we may know truth, we can't expect that every new or every young Christian knows the same truth. And so as stronger Christians, we are to help the weaker grow. We're to help teach them those things. And the purpose of our yielding and maybe giving up certain things that we are allowed to do, the purpose for that is to help those weaker believers grow in their maturity and understanding. And so the purpose of our yielding that is, is to help them mature. And so we it's important that we are sensitive to where others are in their walk with the Lord. As we interact with other believers, as we interact with people in our community, in our churches, we've got to be sensitive and be aware of where they are. And don't just assume that they're at the same level spiritually as we are. So number one, we're all at different maturity levels. Number two, our consciences need to be developed. Our consciences need to be developed. As we mature, we may be able to experience greater freedom in some areas in our life. But mature believers need to lovingly and patiently teach the weaker believers. And the, and the more spiritual knowledge that we know, and the more spiritual knowledge that we act on, then the stronger our conscience will become. Remember, the conscience is to know with, to know with understanding, with experience. So we need to be patient and help those youngers, younger believers mature and grow in that and help them develop their conscience, help them in those processes, but recognize that it, that it needs to be developed. Number three, causing others to violate their conscience is a sin against Christ. Paul says that here. He says, he says, you're sinning against them when you cause them to violate, but ultimately it's a sin against Christ because you're causing them to do something uh, that is bringing shame and God, that's not God's intent. Christ didn't give his life on the cross and pay for their sins so that they would experience shame and guilt. And he says, ultimately, when you do this, just you're, you're puffing yourself up in your knowledge and you're flaunting your freedom and you're doing so at the expense of others. That's a sin against Christ. And so he says this, it's pretty strong language that Paul uses here. But I think he uses this strong language because he wants us to to know that that, that causing a weaker believer to stumble is not something that we should take lightly. Uh, It's something we should be very aware of and very careful about. Number four, just because you can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. There are a lot of things that we may have the freedom to do, doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it in every environment, in every situation. There's sometimes when we may have the freedom to do certain things or participate in certain things, but it's not the right time or it's not the right place. And so we've got to be careful about that. We don't ever want to be in a situation where our actions lead someone else to sin. Paul was kind of addressing the same thing in, in Romans 14, and he said in Romans 14, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, if you take that verse out of context, you might think that he's saying, don't share your faith with anybody, keep your faith between you and God. But the context that Paul said that in Romans 14 was talking about this very same issue. And what he was saying there is, hey, there are certain freedoms and liberties that you have, but some of those freedoms and liberties you have, you don't need to flaunt it. You don't need to do it in public. You don't need to do it in front of it. Just enjoy that freedom and liberty between you and God. Just just enjoy that between you and the Lord and enjoy that freedom. Walk in that freedom, walk in that liberty, but don't flaunt that in a way that's going to cause others to stumble. He, He continues that verse, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So don't be in a place where you're flaunting your freedom in a way that's going to cause others to stumble. Um, Maybe, you know, again, if you have that liberty, if you have that freedom, let's just be careful not to to flaunt it in such a way that we're causing a weaker believer to stumble or we're causing someone else uh, to, to, to do something that would violate their conscience. So, again, we're all at different maturity levels. Our conscience needs to be developed, causing others to violate their conscience is a sin against Christ. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. And then finally, true maturity puts the needs of others ahead of ourselves. True maturity puts the needs of others ahead of ourselves. This is really what the whole chapter boils down to. This is the the declaration that Paul's making in verse 13. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He basically says, I am more about the good of others than I am the freedom and liberties that I want to enjoy myself. And that's really what this Christian life is about. That's what love is. It's putting the needs of others ahead of my own desires. It's, 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 it's putting the needs of others ahead of my own. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I wonder how many times we, in our own desires to fulfill what we want to do and to enjoy our freedom, have just completely ignored how that affects others. And we've been just completely unaware of how our actions or what we do or what we engage in, how that might affect a younger believer or a new Christian or someone who is not as strong in their faith. You know, so many times we, we, we kind of ask ourselves these questions and we wrestle. And I can imagine putting myself in the position of the, the church at Corinth. And I can assume that, that Paul probably received some kind of a question or letter, basically somebody saying, you know, can we eat this meat? We want to eat this meat. We want this cheap meat. Can we do this? And, and you know, a lot of times we 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 the question that we ask is, um, uh, you know, or, or the, the same that says is I'm mature enough to handle this. Uh, I, I can do this. I'm mature enough to enjoy this liberty. I'm mature enough to enjoy this freedom. But I wonder if we shifted that instead. And, and instead, we ask the question, am I mature enough to not enjoy this freedom? Am I mature enough to stop doing this? Or to stop doing it in a way that's, that's vivid and, and, and lived out in front of others. Instead of saying, am I mature enough to do X, Y, Z, say, am I mature enough not to do X, Y, Z? Not can I do this? But the question to ask is, should I do this? Um, I remember a, a study that, that we did with our church a number of years ago, um, called what, you know, the, what, the best question ever. It was, it was actually a study by Andy Stanley years ago. Uh, and the whole question was, is it the wise thing to do? And, and it's just kind of an understanding of sometimes the, the right question is not, can I do it? But should I do it? What's the wise thing to do? And so in our interactions and in our understanding, enjoying the liberties that we have in Christ, I'm not calling us to be legalistic. Paul's not calling us to be legalistic. But as we're enjoying the freedom and liberties that we have, let's stop and let's think about what is my liberty, what effect is that having on someone else as they look at my life? Am I pointing them to Christ? Am I helping them grow and develop in their maturity? Or am I causing them to stumble? And may we make a decision accordingly. This week, we're praying for our domestic adoption ministry here at Lifeline, and specifically for our team, as they come alongside and serve uh, both uh, women in unexpected pregnancy, as well as uh, potential adoptive families. And so will you join us together in prayer? Lord, we love you and thank you for the guidance that you provide in your word. Thank you for your word that leads us into all truth. And uh, Lord, thank you that we don't uh, have to wonder about these things, but you give us clear guidance. Thank you for your spirit that illuminates your truth and opens these our eyes to these things. God, I pray that your word will affect our hearts and our lives and that we will live out a faith that is genuine and real that, uh, Lord, we will grow in our knowledge and understanding of your word, but that that knowledge will uh, be lived out in love and, uh, and that we will, uh, Lord support and help others around us grow in their understanding of who you are and the life you've called us to live as well. Uh, God, we do lift up and, and our specifically our domestic adoption program. We thank you for the opportunity that you give our ministry to come alongside women who are in difficult situations. And, uh, Lord, we pray that women who, who, Maybe considering adoption that they would uh, find ways to connect with us uh, give us wisdom to know how best to reach out and make our known, name known and um, or we pray that even through referral service sources and uh, especially the medical community that you'd give us even greater connections there with hospitals and obgyn doctors and others that would help us connect with uh expecting moms who who may be uh, considering making an adoption plan for their for their child and uh or may you just we know that these these connections are most often come just through divine appointments. And so we pray God that you would help us to be good stewards of resources and opportunities you've been in front of us. But then at the same time, God, we know that that you can do these things in a, even a supernatural way. And we pray that you would. Um, Lord, we pray that uh, Lord, in all of these things, even more so that, that yes, we can help uh, the women find homes for their child. We pray that we can help families make the connections for these children. We pray that these children be love to care for. But God, we pray that through all of it, the gospel will be made known. And we pray that the the women that we work with, that they don't know you, that they will come to faith in you, that we can proclaim the the good news of the gospel and share your love and that they would place their faith and trust in you. We pray for our, our counselors that will serve them through these times, that they will point them to the hope of the gospel. Uh, Lord, we pray for the adoptive families that, um, Lord, that they will love these mothers, well, that they will love their children well, and that you will meet their needs and provide for them. And again, show yourself strong and mighty in their lives. And Lord, as they share the gospel with their children and disciple their children, God, we pray that those children would come to know you as well. And uh, Lord, in all of this, God, our goal and desire is to see the gospel proclaimed and to see uh, hurting broken people as we all are that uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you just would continue to guide and direct our team, uh, use them for your glory and uh, use them for the, the sake of the gospel to go forth unhindered in a way that, that brings you glory and honor and brings people to you. Uh, Lord, it's such a joy to be a part of this work, and uh, we pray that you would just continue to bless it, that you would continue to bring people along to join us in this work, and uh, that you would be honored and glorified in it all. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.